The following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. Let's go, baby! Are you ready for a break? Uh, yes. Are you ready for a break? Absolutely. Ready for a break? Yeah, and um, so much for that. It's time for The Break on DallasCowboys.com. We were on the break! With Ambar Garcia and Derek Eagleton. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2017, season 13, episode number 56. Welcome to another edition of The Break. I'm Derek Eagleton, and uh, we're going to talk some Cowboys football here with you guys today. We're going to talk about some legal stuff here today, and I know that over the last few days, really over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of legal issues with regards to Zeke Elliott. And every day when we start those conversations, I always toss it over to Nick and Dave and ask them to be our resident attorneys. Um, and they've done a fairly good job, fairly, fairly good job, somewhat of a good job being able to explain this stuff. But we figured this morning we're going to give it to the the, the legal experts. And we're going to have uh, Mr. Daniel Wallach join us here in just a moment. He's a, a, a sports attorney um, who is going to give us some insights on uh, he's been following this case really closely. I don't know if you followed him on Twitter, but he's a really great follow on Twitter, has a lot of great insight. So we figured we'd have him on and uh, let you guys uh, hear from him directly to give us some uh, some context on the legal side of what's happening with Ezekiel Elliott. Before we have him on, though, Dave and Nick and Amber, um, I would like to at least get us everyone caught up on what happened yesterday with regards to this case. Sounds like at this point it's back on. He's playing for now. How long is he playing? Is it just this week? Is it next week? What are we looking at right now as far as we understand it? Well, this one, you know, you hear the term temporary restraining order. He filed an injunction last time, and it was a little more open-ended. This this one has a finite time limit. It's 14 days or uh, or earlier. At the most, 14 days. At the most, 14 days. Uh, the this this issue has to be ruled on by the presiding judge by I believe October 30th, but it can be ruled on before. So it stands to reason that he will play against San Francisco, and he could potentially play against Washington while this is in effect, but. Uh, basically the judge who, you know, judge who's supposed to rule on this is, is on vacation right now. And so there's a 14 day window. I don't know when she gets back. That's the thing. So a good time for vacations, right? um, Everybody does not rotate around an NFL. I was thinking about that last night. I was like, (laughs) you know, I mean, it would be cool to take a vacation in October. That's not really seems weird to us, but yeah, yeah, it would, that sounds great though. For the rest of the world, I'm sure it's, it's not a bad time. So like I said, it. It seems like a very good bet he'll be available for San Francisco. It's possible or maybe even likely he'll be available for Washington, but maybe not. But he's got 14 days-ish uh, before this goes back to a judge, and then we know what comes next. But even with – I know that I, what I what I thought I saw was that by the 30th was when this case has to be – or no, by the 29th is when this case has to be heard. Is that accurate? Game against Washington is on the 29th. By the 30th is when By the it has 30th to is when it has to be heard. And even at that, when it's heard, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get a quick response on whatever is is discussed in the hearing, correct? I guess that's technically true, but, I mean, this Save. was— Save him, Derek. <laughs> this was heard. But, I mean, this was heard yesterday and decided on yesterday. Like, I don't— the, this is I'm I don't think this is that like slow grinding legal process where it's going to sit in court for, uh, you know, weeks and weeks. I mean, even you go back to the injunction that was filed in Sherman. The judge heard the arguments on Tuesday and ruled on Friday. 
So I think you're talking a couple hours to maybe a couple days at most. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is going to be something that drags out once it is hurt again. Wait, what's that? Yeah, Darren McFadden just got dropped in another fantasy league. That's right. <laughs> Morris, too. Just keeps happening. Yeah, I'm sure. You got that roster alert that says Darren McFadden's been dropped in 46,000 leagues. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's Zeke's playing this week. I mean, and that's 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 good for the Cowboys. I mean, that's good for for this team. I mean, we, we've said it all along that he's a dynamic player. I think he's the best football player on the team. So obviously that that's a good thing. But uh, you have to wonder from the mental makeup of him, just like this back and forth, constant you know tennis match that's been going on with him. I mean, is he playing? Is he not playing? It, it, and 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 what is it like for for the team? I know Garrett's going to stand up here and say, you know, we prepare the same, but it. it it's got to be weighing on them to just kind of go back and forth like this. And this is a little bit different, too, because, you know, he got that last injunction before the season even started, and it's just kind of been open-ended. And then, like, really, you know, over these last two weeks, you know, you have your hearing in the circuit court, and then they rule, and he's taken off the roster on Thursday, and he's put back on the roster yesterday, and... You know, it's a little bit different when it's like an open-ended deal. But now, yeah, tennis match is a good way to describe it where he's kind of ping-ponging. And uh, I, I don't believe anybody that would tell me that, you know, this last 10, 10 or so days hasn't weighed on him or people on this team. Yeah. I, I do wonder if it's weighing on people on the team as much as it's weighing on him. I agree with you. It, it, it's hard to imagine a world where it doesn't weigh on him just because anytime there's anything It's weighing on, on us. Life. <laughs> we have nothing. Really, I, mean, I mean, like, it, it ha- yes. I don't know about you, yeah, but yeah, yes. yeah we've yeah. been waiting on a response and it goes back and forth. There's not a resolution to this whole matter. And that's just us. Like, and we're not even really involved in any of that, just from the aside from the fact of covering what's going on. I guess the difference is uh, when I when you use the word weighing on us, I, I look at that more just kind of like. This is this big, dark cloud. I don't think of it like that. Now, is it a distraction? Yeah, I think it's probably a distraction because every few days you're hearing something different that's like, oh, so it, it changed again. Oh, okay. Well, well it, can it change again now? Yeah, it, it can change again tomorrow. Well, no. okay, let's keep an eye on it. And so it is a distraction. No. I don't think of it as a weight, though. I think of it as a huge weight in the most trivial way possible. Because you have to write it? I, I have to do everything. I have to field the texts from the guy I haven't talked to since college about who he should pick up yes. in fantasy. But, I but have do you to think drop my plans on a Tuesday night to right. write about it. But do the I players to, care about it? Is that weighing on the players like that? That's if it's question. weighing on me and I'm as tangentially related to it as I am, like it doesn't really affect me all that much. It's I Yes. No, but it affects – what I'm saying is mm. the reason why it weighs on you – is because it affects your ability to go to the fair last night. It affects your ability to be able to have a quiet evening at home. That's the difference. I don't know that this is affecting the players being able to prepare for the game. I don't know that this is affecting the players being able to have whatever time they have a solace. I don't think that affects the players the same way that it affects Maybe them. not as much, but it has to affect their game plan. Like, okay, what are we doing this week? Like, do we still have Zeke? Are we going to still have him on the field? Okay, now are we preparing to get Darren McFadden on here? Like, how are we going to work on... Opening spots, oh, but, but do the but do the him. players get is that is that a way on the coaches? Yes, is that a way on the players? I'm not a little sure. bit. Is, I, I think the so. players kind of they're like I'm, I got to block the same guy regardless of whether Zeke's running or whether McFadden's running. I, it it's probably the same just, thing. I, I see your point, Derek. It probably yeah. affects a couple of play. I mean the, the not quarterback, everyone. yeah, you know, not everyone, but it affects different packages because I mean I, I'm not gonna 
let the Cowboys, the coaches, sit here and say that it, we prepare exactly the same because unless, unless Alfred Morris gets 95% of the carries and McFadden gets two, then, yeah, I guess they are preparing the same. But if it's more of a 50-50, 60-40 split, then definitely things are changing, which means the receiving tight ends packages are changing a little bit. It changes a lot of the offense when you have a dynamic back who's not there. And I, I get your point. Like, football players are pretty remarkable about only caring about the assignment directly in front of them. For a whole week, yeah. But, I mean, you know, also, this is their friend. I mean, you know, point, this is yeah. their friend and their teammate and a guy that we spent a year crediting for being like a big part of the, you know, the chemistry in the locker room and kind of the loose vibe. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe you don't go home and worry about it and refresh your Twitter feed the way I do because it's my job. But, uh, you know, they also he's their friend and teammate and a great player uh, and not knowing whether or not he's going to be there, not knowing, you know, how does that affect our game planning, the plays we can call, the plays we want to run. Yeah, I mean, any like I said, I think they're not telling the truth if it if it isn't weighing on him a little bit. Has Jason talked about this at all, about how they'll attack this if, if he's there versus not there or how much they have to change things if he's there versus not there? I honestly, it feels like it's been three weeks since we've yeah. talked to Jason Garrett. But if we ask him that today, he'll probably just tell us it doesn't matter. And just, you know, parking lot moon. Try to have the best Wednesday possible with the players that, you know, the players are here. We're going to work with the guys have we a great got. Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. Not really much you can do about it anyway. I mean, for, for the, from their standpoint, they, just, they have to sit back and just wait for an answer, right? There's not really much they can do about it, but it's okay. It's like Nick's. It's okay to tell the truth and be like, "Well, you know, this will affect how we game plan what we want to do with our running backs this week." Like, that's okay. You can admit that without. But he won't. He, no, he won't. No, he will he not never say do that. that. It's not like there's six coaches on the defensive side in San Francisco. They're like, "Ha, we got it now. Start go to work now." They're going to change it up because he said they're going to change it. Like, yeah, how? <laughs> well, <laughs> Garrett admitted it. Garrett admitted that it's different having Zeke in the game as opposed I just to Alfred saw it Morris on DallasCowboys.com. Go do something about it, right? Yeah. All right. We uh, we're still waiting for Daniel Wallach. He's going to be joining us joining us here momentarily. Um, in the meantime, I wanted to go ahead and move on to uh, talk a little bit about San Francisco. Um, the Cowboys will be pacing, uh, facing the 49ers this Sunday. Um, it'll be a 3:30 kick Central Time. Uh, we'll be out there, obviously, on the West Coast. So it's, it's actually three oh five. Three oh five. Sorry, three oh five kick. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be a fourteen nothing by the time it's three thirty. Which way? In, I don't know. I was. I, was, I mean, we didn't. <laughs> we're getting the crazy predictions last already. Week, I mean, last we haven't week, even, last year it was. We haven't no. even laid it all out for everybody, and we're already a crazy prediction. Wasn't it fourteen nothing last Cowboys year? Cowboys did go down fourteen nothing very <laughs> quickly last year. I don't, right. I don't know what's going to happen this time. Dave, give us a give us your scouting report of of this offense. Let's talk about the San Francisco offense. Let's focus in on that today. Give us a scouting report of the players uh, and the the specific things about this team that that should stand out for fans, good or bad. Well, what's fun for the Cowboys is it's going to look completely different than, you know, I always say I don't go back. I'm, I'm not going to watch all six games anyway, but I don't need to because it's a completely different quarterback. Uh, CJ Beathard's going to be your starter going into this game after replacing Brian Hoyer mid uh, mid game against, um, against Washington last week. And I get it having watched that game because it was a punt fest with Brian Hoyer. He, I think he went four of 11. They put in CJ Beathard. Uh, they punt on their first possession, then they go touchdown, field goal, miss field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, and they were within two points with a chance to try to win the game, and he eventually threw the 
clinching interception because he is a rookie draft pick. Um, huge, huge penalty that changed that whole game. I don't know if you watched that. I was watching a little bit. It was earlier in the game. No, 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 uh, no. At the very end of the game, uh, sorry, but Garcon with an offensive pass interference that was kind of a pick. Oh, type no, play. I, I must have missed that. And they're, they're like on the 40-yard line. They need about five more yards to attempt a field goal to win the game, maybe 10, and they get 15 yards back. They don't ever recover from that. It was That that changed everything. I mean, that offensive pass interference is is a huge penalty when it's accepted, and that one, that changed the whole game for them. Sorry. No, you're fine. Keep going. Which, well, that's, a, that's kind of a theme, and I know, like I just said, the offense is different because they change quarterbacks, but – the 49ers have had their hearts ripped out like five weeks in a row. Uh, they lost pretty handily to Carolina to start the season. Then they lose by three to Seattle. They lose by two to the Rams. Uh, and the, uh, they lost in overtime on a field goal to the Colts. They lose to the Redskins last week with a chance to win in the final minute. I mean, I think they've lost five of their six games by 13 combined points. So they're in the running for the first overall pick, but it's not for lack of trying. They think about this when you see the schedule and you see three road games in a row. I mean, three that that hardly ever happens when you do three road games in a row. And what have they done? They've gone to overtime twice and lost by field goal, and then they also lost this last game by two. I mean, I feel I feel bad for them. Like they should, they deserve a win. Only team in the history of the NFL to lose five straight games by three points. Or that's less. unbelievable. Um, but offensively, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything that's particularly good. Like, they're ranked down at the bottom half of the league in almost every category statistically offensively. And, well, between that and the fact – I mean, you're 0-6. You pretty much – you're out of it. And between that and the fact that the offense hasn't been great, I think that's why you saw a quarterback change. Um, this – you know, I, you know, Kyle Shanahan gets – He's like this. First of all, he's the quarterback whisperer. That's what everybody says about him. And he's like kind of an old school West Coast guy. They gave a fullback like crazy money in free agency, Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, And you see that when you watch them. And I, you know, I think you're probably in a little bit working with what you have because there's not a lot of guys that really wow you in the skill player department. You have Carlos Hyde. You have Pierre Garçon, who they signed in free agency. But other than that, there's not a ton of it. And so when you watch these guys, it's like tight ends everywhere, fullback on the field a lot of times, like 12 personnel out the wazoo. I think, you know, in watching in watching this game against Washington, uh, I think I saw maybe I – would, I would venture a guess at like five snaps where it was just the offensive line up front, like just the five guys. You know, like it's usually like seven, maybe sometimes even eight if they want to do, you know, power running plays. And I think, first of all, you don't trust your quarterback play whether because it's Beathard because he's a rookie or Brian Hoyer because he's bad. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, sorry. Um, so you're trying to give him easy throws, protection, keep guys close to the line of scrimmage, and that's a lot of what this looks like. Once Beathard went in there, Carlos Hyde has 23 receptions on the year. He got five of them in this game. Um, George Kittle is another name I think you really Skittle? need. Kittle? Kittle. That's good. He's another name you really need to know. He's a rookie tight end that they drafted in the fifth round, and they already trust him to do everything. I mean, he's out there. He's blocking. He's going downfield. I think he had four catches for 50 yards in this game. Um, like I said, a lot of, lot of dump-offs to running backs, a lot of out routes to tight ends, but Beathard is not afraid to go downfield either. Like, he hit some nice balls down the seam and found Garcon for decent gains a couple of times, but this is a... I would call this offense really cautious. Okay. 
It's just it's you know dink and dunks like what, everything that the that people said about Dak and the Cowboys last year. That's what this reminded me of. All right, we're gonna take a really quick break. When we come back from our break, uh, we actually have Mr. Daniel Wallach on the line. We're gonna talk to him a little bit about uh, the legal matters with regard to Ezekiel Elliott. We'll do that when we come right back. This is DallasCowboys.com radio. We, the entertainment loving people, want a smartphone built for us. With AT and T and Direct TV, you can get the Samsung Galaxy S8 with an infinity edge to edge screen. It's perfect for entertainment. We want exactly what you just said. Buy a Samsung Galaxy S8 and get one free after bill credits when you buy both on AT&T Next and have DirecTV. Visit your local AT&T store today. Buy each for $750 on installment agreement with eligible service. New line is free up to $750 in credits over 30 months. Credits start in two to three bills if service canceled by balance due. Taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Limited time offer. See store for details. Star Sports Tours is the only official fan travel partner of the Dallas Cowboys, offering exclusive game weekend travel packages with sideline access and photo ops with current players, alumni, and cheerleaders. That's not all, though. You'll get to talk X's and O's with Senior Director of Player Personnel, Will McClay, and of course, with yours truly, me, Brian Broaddus. You can trust the official fan travel partner of the Dallas Cowboys, and with us, you'll travel like a pro. Visit CowboysTravel.com to book your travel package today. Cowboys fans know that the second best of anything simply won't cut it, and your skincare should be no different. A longtime locker room favorite of the players and the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas-based Jack Black, is the number one best-selling men's skincare brand in the country because we make products that help guys look, smell, and feel better. Visit GetJackBlack.com Cowboys to get $10 off your first order of $50 or more. Jack Black, look good, smell good, feel good. Official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys. I hear all this talk about what it takes to be a cowboy. Everyone's got their ideas, but I just say to myself, it's what's up top that matters. Sure, you need men with the muscle and heart to get her done, but if your scouts and coaches are listening out there, a word of advice. Pick the man with the most well-worn Stetson. That's the one most cut out to be a cowboy. Stetson hats are handmade right here in Texas and have been on cowboys' heads for over 150 years. The rest of you can visit stetson.com cowboy to find a retailer nearest you back to the break welcome back we're in the second segment of the break live from the swbc mortgage studios and we're gonna take a little time to um get ourselves a little more acquainted with the legal aspects of what's happening with ezekiel elliott we have joining us now uh daniel wallach who is a sports and gaming attorney for becker and poliakoff um and he's also the co-host of conduct detrimental it's a podcast check it out if you get a chance uh welcome to the show daniel uh, thanks for having me on my uh, debut on, uh, on the podcast. Yeah, we very we, excited. We really appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, I'll just say real quick, the the work you've been doing on Twitter has been phenomenal. I know I'm I'm, I'm following and, and the stuff that you uh, you put out there recording regarding this case has been uh, really interesting. And for people like us that aren't uh, that aren't legal experts, it helps kind of break it down. So thanks a lot for what you've been doing there. Yeah, it's my pleasure. All those years of going to law school and practicing law, I guess, have uh, you know trained me eventually to weigh in on this. And I didn't realize it at the time, uh, but now I, I just feel every situation that comes up in a federal case involving you know an NFL discipline matter, I've experienced personally in one form or another uh, throughout my career. So I, I think I can lend a unique uh, you know insight to to what I project will likely occur. Awesome. So give us give us just a big. I'm sorry, Nick. Oh, uh, Daniel. So you've experienced something like this before? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite okay. like this, but I've been okay, both but playing close, offense. Right? I played offense and defense in uh, temporary restraining order practice, preliminary injunctions, appeals, petitions for rehearing on bonk, uh, arbitration, vacators, arbitration, confirmations, 
everything has just come up. You know, the thing about the legal practice is, uh, while you know there there are no new there are no new cases, just new faces. And on this one, there's probably a few more zeros involved and a few more high-profile individuals. But this is basic, uh, you know, sort of federal court practice. But it's elevated because of how uh, hotly contested and, and the, the the hatred between the union and management. So they take it to the nth degree and try every loophole, every available legal avenue. And sometimes in real-life litigation, the clients aren't going to spend that kind of money. Uh, but, but with the NFL and the Players Association, we're talking about not just a principal, uh, but millions of dollars of potential lost salary. So it's more than just the principal here. So give us an idea at this point, kind of where we are and how we've gotten here. I know that it started with the case back here in Dallas um, and kind of got then pushed to New York. To kind of give us an, a big overview in layman's terms of kind of how we got to where we are right now. Well, I mean, we're going to need two hours uh, <laughs> if we're going to cover all that ground. Uh, but, but essentially, uh, shortly after uh, Elliott uh, had his six-game suspension imposed by Commissioner Goodell, uh, the Players Association had a, had a, a choice to make. Um, uh, actually, before Hend- Harold Henderson uh, upheld the discipline, the NFL, uh, the Players Association remembered the lessons from Deflategate. If you remember two years ago, uh, the union was caught flat-footed uh, when, while waiting for the decision from, from Goodell, uh, they had ex- the union had expected to be able to file a lawsuit in the District of Minnesota, where they have constantly brought these discipline cases over the years. Uh, but the NFL controlled the timing of the decision and, were a- and was able to quickly file suit in the Southern District of New York in its home home forum. So the union tried a different tack this time and tried to beat the NFL to the courthouse by winning the race before the race even started. And that set into motion a whole series of events that led us to New York. And while ultimately the NFL was vindicated on the jurisdictional battle, uh, Elliott and the Players Association gained two very significant benefits from going to Texas. One was the, the, just the mere delay of being able to get an injunction early on at the beginning of the season and have that stretch out into week six. But more importantly, um, Elliott and the union now travel to New York bolstered by two very significant federal court opinions, one from Judge Mazant and one from Fifth Circuit Judge James Graves in the dissent, which, uh, which give credence to the union's argument that Elliott was deprived of fundamental fairness. So it essentially lowered the bar for Elliott and the Players Association in New York, and I think it took what was like a, a 30 or 40 percent likelihood of success and put it into the 75 percent range. And now we're basically going through a replay of the Texas action in that we're going through a temporary restraining order. In two weeks, the uh, federal court judge that, that comes back from vacation will likely schedule uh, a, a more full-blown motion for preliminary injunction. There will be a hearing. There will be some additional briefing. And in two weeks, we'll likely learn the status of Elliott's, uh, I guess, eligibility for the rest of the season, because this TRO is a temporary victory, but I think it bolsters his, his chances of success before Judge Fela in, in about two weeks. And if he can get a preliminary injunction, he's probably going to be safe for the rest of the season, and then the uh, fight will be over the appeal in the offseason. We're joined right now by Daniel Wallach, who is a sports and gaming attorney. Um, he's talking to us about the Ezekiel Elliott legal issues. Uh, to this point, it seems like most of the rulings have had to do with things that were more procedural, stuff like uh, right venue or timing and stuff like that. At what point, or is it ever going to get to a point 
where the question at, in, at hand is the fairness of the process, because we keep hearing that from the NFLPA. As you said, there are two, uh, um, two judges that have now had opinions that point to a, uh, some unfairness that, that may have occurred. Um, at what point does that become the main issue and they will be ruling on the fairness of the process uh, to hopefully, for the Cowboys, get Ezekiel back on the field? Well, that began yesterday. The jurisdictional and venue battle is essentially over. I mean, the NFL Players Association could still uh, attempt a Hail Mary to bring this case back to the Eastern District of Texas, where they have a guaranteed victory before Judge Amos Mazant. Uh, they have a, a high likelihood of victory, at least on a preliminary injunction before Judge Fela, but there's no guarantee that she will uh, abide by uh, Judge Crotty's ruling yesterday. Uh, I mean, but, but it's, it's highly likely in that we've had three, federal, four federal court, court opinions. We've had two from Judge Mazant, one on the preliminary injunction, and one on the denial of the stay, and an and, and opinion from James, from James Graves in the dissent, and also from Judge Crotty yesterday. All four judges weighed in at various levels on the principle of fundamental fairness, and either uh, forcefully ruled or hinted at the uh, likelihood that Elliot was deprived of fundamental fairness by being deprived and uh, not having the opportunity to cr- confront and cross-examine the accuser of, of, you know, of the domestic violence allegations, whose credibility is directly at issue and the threshold that the NFL has to prove under its own personal conduct policy that there is credible evidence to support the allegations. And if Elliot does not have the opportunity to test the credibility of his accuser, either through direct cross-examination or by having all of the investigators' notes, he's being deprived of, of a very essential thing that's necessary, relevant, and material to his defense in the arbitration. Uh, Daniel, uh, David Hellman here. Thanks for coming on with us. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. I, I can appreciate that you're probably not privy to Judge Fela's vacation plans, uh, so I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm just... That's the one thing that I'm really kind of wrestling with right now is so we know that the hearing has to happen by October 30th, but no, no, the TRO expires on October right, 30th. Ex- exactly. So by, by, as a practical matter, uh, Judge Fayella will have to schedule something pretty quickly or Elliot will be in a position where the TRO is expired and then he faces a possible suspension. But here's the reality. If Judge Fayella is on vacation for two more weeks and October 30th comes and goes, uh, you'll see the Players Association file an application with Judge Crotty uh, to extend the TRO by, you know, by a week or more. I've seen that happen in, in, in many federal cases. Fourteen days is not the absolute end of the road. It's the initial period of the TRO. So if there's this gap that needs to be filled, uh, Judge Crotty will fill it. And, and uh, that's exactly what I was looking for, I guess. So really, overall, I'm, I'm wondering for a, an idea or a resolution of, of when we might expect uh, to finally you know, have this settled by Judge Fela, I guess. But I guess you're saying it's not necessarily a guarantee that it even has to happen by October 30th. No, no. Again, the big the big scoop in the in the world of the NFL is what are Judge Fela's vacation plans? That is now on par with like the biggest stories in the National Football League. And someone suggested that she's on vacation for two weeks, but I don't, I don't know whether those two weeks are measured from yesterday or from the beginning of the week. If she's going to be back before October 30th, I believe her clerks are going to be in a position. Her offices, her chambers are definitely going to be operational while she's on vacation, and she could communicate with her staff by phone. And 
and she's well aware of what's going on, I would imagine. And sometime soon, you will see a, a, a briefing notice or some kind of order coming from Judge Fela's chambers, setting this down for briefing and an oral argument sometime before October 30th. And if she's away and can't uh, handle that hearing, then Judge Crotty will extend the TRO by whatever period of time is necessary. I mean, there's an outer limit to how far he can extend it, but I believe, you know, one week would be permissible under the federal rules of civil procedure. So what we basically know is that she's not having much of a relaxing vacation. <laughs> Probably. Oh, no, no, no. She is. She is. It's summertime. She has hundreds of cases. And I believe she's probably on a beach somewhere and not even thinking about this case. Well, that's good. It, it, it's her law clerks that are scrambling to kind of figure out how to, uh, how to put this matter on the docket while she has hundreds of other cases, including federal criminal trials, which have to take priority. I mean, there's a Speedy Trial Act in, uh, you know, in, under federal law, uh, and her docket is mainly dominated by trials throughout the week. So for, for a preliminary, preliminary injunction hearing, she'll have to find an hour or two hours or even a half hour somewhere. But I think that the hearing on the, on the PI is likely going to be much longer in duration than the 45 minutes or so that were allotted to the TRO. If she has to find two hours in the evening or after her criminal trial concludes for a day, that's when it will take place. But, but this will be, this will no doubt be scheduled at some point on or about October 30th. We're talking to Daniel Wallach, who is a sports and gaming attorney for uh, Beckert and Polyakov. Uh, he's talking to us about the Ezekiel Elliott uh, legal battles. Um, one question I have for you was re- with regards to um, um, Tom, the Tom Brady case, the Deflate Gate case, and we've heard a lot from from different people. I've heard a lot from different people that um, you look at that case, and although Brady was able to play that full season while things were kind of in the courts, there still was this overlying thing that it's hard to it's hard for judges. Uh, as as played out in that case, case, it's hard for them to go against basically what the players have agreed to, which is that the the commissioner of the NFL is the arbiter in these cases, and he has the ability to be able to say definitively this player is going to miss X amount of time because of this penalty for whatever it was that they felt like they did wrong. Um, is that the same thing in this case, or do the issues of fundamental fairness now change that, and can a court provide remedy for for players in these kind of situations because it's not so much about the right of the commissioner to be the arbiter as much as it is the 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 commissioner still has to be fair in how they uh, adjudicate these these particular issues yeah i mean dave you nailed it right on the head in the uh, um, tom brady deflate gate case the nfl players association raised the issue of evident partiality and um, advanced the argument that um, um, roger goodell was was biased and uh, were, you know sought and, and the union sought his removal in the the elliot case uh, you know the the union has recognized uh, that their acquiescence to a to a league appointed arbitrator is enshrined in the collective bargaining agreement so that that's almost a non-starter, and that wasn't raised by the union in their petition. Uh, what they're arguing, however, is that um, you know the fact that the um, NFL can pick and choose its arbitrator doesn't mean that uh, the union acquiesces to a fundamentally unfair arbitration. That will always be recognized in the Federal Arbitration Act and by most circuits under the Labor Management Relations Act. And this case is brought under the LMRA, 
but the case law that recognizes and the statute that recognizes the, uh, the fundamental fairness as one of the limited grounds on which a federal judge can vacate an arbitration award, I believe that travels to the labor arbitration context. Now, the Brady decision did not foreclose the use of fundamental fairness in future cases. Uh, but while the court uh, took great pains to state that the um, fundamental fairness principle is not necessarily recognized in the labor context. Every court that has ever addressed it in the Second Circuit and in the lower federal courts always analyzes the fundamental fairness argument on the merits. And then we go to the issue of whether the court's finding in Deflategate is applicable uh, to the Elliott case and forecloses that argument on its merits. And I don't believe that it does, because in the Deflategate uh, case, the fundamental fairness argument that the union raised, well, the main one was that they were denied the opportunity to cross-examine NFL, you know, lawyer and, and senior vice president Jeffrey Pash, who was one of the co-authors of the Wells investigative report and played some role in editing that investigative report. That is a far cry from the accuser in a domestic violence case. Now, now the Second Circuit's Deflategate opinion uh, rejected the fundamental fairness argument advanced by the union because it characterized Jeff Pash as a collateral, meaning an unimportant or less important witness, that was cumulative of much of the other testimony from Mr. Wells and from the findings in the Wells report. You can't get anywhere more essential in a domestic violence case than having the ability to confront and cross-examine cross the person who accuses the player of domestic violence. That is, the entire, that is almost the entirety of the league's case against Elliott. And under the personal conduct policy, the threshold that the league has to establish is that credible evidence supported the, uh, the allegations. How can you how can you meet that standard if Elliot can't test the credibility of the testimony of the person who put him under suspension? And that goes to the very heart of the Seventh Amendment and Sixth Amendment right to confront your accuser. While while that principle is not necessarily embedded under the rules of arbitration, which are somewhat less formal, it does it does fit under the under the uh, I guess the the category of fundamental fairness. And when an arbitrator deprives uh, a, a party of material and relevant testimony, well, that is tantamount to a fundamentally unfair arbitration. And this is the most essential testimony that you could even conceive of in a, in a domestic violence case, the accuser in a he said, she said situation. All right. Daniel, you kind of said this a little bit earlier when we first had you on, but uh, do you feel like, and not to put you on the spot here, but do you feel like there's more than one battle going on here? That that, that you know, we we know the NFLPA and the NFL have had have had their issues, and they're going to probably have more with with more labor talks coming up, maybe next year. Do you feel like this is just the next case in what these two sides are, are a bit have been battling with each other? That you know, there's a, there's a precedence here that they want to make sure that as we head into labor talks, that you know that their side kind of wins here. Yeah, I mean, this case is going to um, really um, elevate the critical issue going forward in the uh, you know labor negotiations because if Elliott prevails on the principle of fundamental fairness, it creates a precedent uh, that the union would be able to establish in future domestic violence cases. Uh, we're going to see if if, if Elliott wins, uh, the accuser will now likely have to participate in in future uh, arbitrations under the personal conduct policy, and that creates a, a, that could create a chilling effect for for witnesses and accusers. 
I mean, I mean, uh, Tiffany Thompson cooperated voluntarily with the NFL during the investigation. If she knew that she had to testify in the arbitration and be, subje- and be subjected to a withering cross-examination from Jeffrey Kessler, she might hesitate to cooperate with the NFL. So this is a, a huge victory for the union in battling against what they consider to be a, a one-sided personal conduct policy that was not collectively bargained. So this could uh, create a, a significant negotiation point when the collective bargaining agreement comes to an end. So that's, that's what the league is fighting for here. It's not simply about Elliott's six games, but about reinstating and, and bolstering its personal conduct policy that policy would be significantly undermined if the Players Association were able to score a victory on fundamental fairness grounds. It would establish a precedent going forward and undermine uh, the victories that the league has achieved under Deflategate and under the Adrian Peterson case. I mean, while, while an arbitrator's evidentiary rulings are generally within the scope of the arbitrator's discretion, um, there's, a, there's a fine line between that discretion and then the denial of, uh, of, of, of material and relevant testimony, which goes to the heart of the case. It really does create some uncertainty going forward for the National Football League, and it will ultimately lead to more challenges by the Players Association and more, more court challenges of arbitration decisions. And we're going to be in future federal court battles. This is not going to be the last one if the players win. It does create a significant opening for the union to challenge arbitration decisions going forward. This is Daniel Wallach. We're talking to him about the uh, Ezekiel Elliott legal issues. He is a sports and gaming attorney. Um, and one more question we have for you. We really appreciate your time. One more question before you leave. So I, I know there's a lot that we've talked about here, and there's probably some fans out there listening that their heads are spinning at this point, probably got a lot more law than they really expected or really can even wrap their arms around. So just wrap it up in a bow for us using your prognost- prognosticator hat. What do you think happens at the conclusion of this? How do you think this thing all ends from the standpoint of the next decision that has to be made and the final decision as to whether Ezekiel Elliott wins or doesn't win. Okay, fair point. We'll take this in stages. There are three more court rulings that are going to occur over the lifetime of the Elliott versus NFL case. Um, In two weeks, uh, Judge Fela will in all likelihood enter a preliminary injunction in Ezekiel Elliott's favor. She will likely not disagree with her colleague on the Southern District of New York bench. Senior Judge Paul Crotty is a very respected federal court judge. So when you add up all of the decisions that have been issued to date, the two from Judge Mazant, the one from uh, Judge Graves, and yesterday's TRO order from Judge Crotty, um, the NFL Players Association is now armed with four significant federal judicial opinions that I think allow it to clear the hurdle of the likelihood of success on the merits. Uh, Judge Fela does not need to be persuaded that it's certain that Elliott will prevail on the merits. There just has to be a likelihood of success, and he already has established that. And the key issue for me is the is the irreparable harm. If, if Elliott misses any games because he's denied a preliminary injunction. Let's say he were to later win this case on appeal. Uh, Elliot will never be able to recapture those games. They're gone forever. No federal court has a time machine to restore 
that playing time. So I think the status quo will be maintained on a preliminary injunction. And if a preliminary injunction issues, then it makes it much more likely than not that Judge Fahler will ultimately rule on the merits for the Players Association on the principle of fundamental fairness. That decision could be as quick as a month away, because I believe all the briefing on this case uh, is pretty close to complete. And her decision on the validity of the arbitration award will be based entirely on the arbitration record, which has already been completed. Uh, While Jeffrey Kessler will be eager to take Roger Goodell's deposition, I'm not certain that the judge will allow uh, open-ended discovery in this case. So I think you're going to see a, a decision in favor of Elliott on the preliminary injunction in about two to three weeks or less, and then a likely victory for Elliott on the merits of the motion to vacate the arbitration award. And you could see that come down at some point in November. And then we head to the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, and the $64,000 question is whether the Second Circuit will will come out with a ruling that distinguishes the Deflategate decision. Now, we will I cannot prognosticate or predict how the Second Circuit will rule without knowing the identity of the three judges who will serve on the panel. For example, if you have, uh, you know, two democratically nominated, two Democrats, one Republican, well, that certainly bolsters Elliott's chances. If you have one of the same judges that ruled for Elliott and in, that ruled for Brady and Deflategate, well, that's a good thing. But if Barrington Parker and Danny Chin are on that panel, it's probably curtains for Elliott. And I believe at the end of the day, Elliott is holding a, a very strong argument on fundamental, ground, fundamental fairness grounds because Brady and, and, and Elliott are light years apart, and one can easily distinguish Jeff Repash's testimony in Deflategate, or the necessity for it, from the essential core of, of, of Ms. Thompson's testimony, which goes to the very heart of the case. On the continuum of material and relevant testimony, if Pash is a one or a two, well, certainly Tiffany Thompson is like a 10 or 11. Uh, and I believe that's where the two cases part company. And even under the Second Circuit uh, ruling in Deflategate, I think the panel of three judges would likely side with Elliott on the issue of fundamental fairness. But it all comes down to the luck of the draw and which three judges are assigned to the appellate panel. All right. We really appreciate you taking some time Thank with you us, Daniel. So much. That was really informative. We learned a lot. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, stay in touch if some other legal issues come up. Or certainly as this case continues, we'd love to have you back on. It would be my pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. That was uh, Daniel Wallach, who is a sports and gaming attorney for Becker and Polyakov. Um, and he also has a podcast of his own, Conduct Detrimental. Uh, had a lot that, that he said there. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll kind of digest a little bit more of that. See if we can get back more into the San Francisco game um, as well. We'll do that in the final segment. This is DallasCowboys.com radio. To work this big land, you need equipment with values rooted as deep in Texas soil as you are. Like John Deere compact tractors with a six-year powertrain warranty and big features that help you work less so you have more time to do what you love. John Deere was first in the Texas fields, and we're proud to be on the field as the official ag and turf equipment of the Dallas Cowboys. Find Texas-sized deals at myjohndeerdealer.com slash football. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. We, the entertainment-loving people, want a smartphone built for us. With AT&T and DirecTV, you can get the Samsung Galaxy S8. With an infinity edge-to-edge screen, it's perfect for entertainment. We want 
exactly what you just said. Buy a Samsung Galaxy S8 and get one free after bill credits when you buy both on AT&T Next and have Direct TV. Visit your local AT&T store today. Buy each for $750 on installment agreement with eligible service. New line is free up to $750 in credits over 30 months. Credits start in two to three bills if service canceled by balance due. Taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Limited time offer. See store for details. Ice cold Dr. Pepper and the Dallas Cowboys go way back. They belong together, like Texas and football, silver and blue, shotgun formations and Hail Marys. Having a Cowboys football party without Dr. Pepper is like having Thanksgiving without the Cowboys. Basically, we wouldn't recommend it. So next time you have a tailgate, home gate, or whatever else kind of gate, grab some ice-cold Dr. Pepper for you and your friends to enjoy. It's a Dallas Cowboys tradition. Dr. Pepper, the one you crave. It can be hard to find the right resource for learning about important financial matters. You search how to build savings, you end up reading about the one weird ingredient from supermarkets that can make you taller. That's why Bank of America built BetterMoneyHabits.com, a safe little corner of the Internet for answering your financial questions. Full of simple videos and tips, Better Money Habits can show you how to make the most of your money without resorting to random searches that always seem to lead to unbelievable photos of childhood stars grown up. To learn more, visit BetterMoneyHabits.com. Back to the break. Welcome back. It is the final segment of the break. We appreciate you guys joining us live from the SWBC Mortgage Studios at the Star. And that was a really interesting segment that we had there. We had uh, Daniel Wallach join us, who is an attorney uh, who was able to give us some really good insight into the Ezekiel Elliott case. Um, I'll throw it out to you guys. Like, was there any what what thing? If you had one thing, what what one thing did you learn there that you didn't quite know, or there was kind of hazy to you that you can uh, help make sense for fans? Well, for me, person, that whole that was great, but it was kind of like like have you ever walked on a log? You know, you're just like, oh, all right, I got this, I got, this. oh, I'm gonna fall. Uh, okay, caught my balance. Uh, like that's how I felt like the whole time, just trying not to lose my grasp of what he was talking about. Yeah, uh, me personally, the background information was really great. I feel like you know I've been knee deep in this stuff for long enough that I had a pretty pretty good grasp on all of that. But the big thing I just I wanted to know more about what to expect in these next two weeks. Uh, and I think you know, I I get you know it's it's his life and his reputation and there's more important stuff. But I think most fans just want to know. Okay, wait, is he playing when, football? Is he playing? When's he playing? When yeah. when can he play? How do we know when he can play? And uh, do I need to pick the, up Darren McFadden? What's the likelihood? <laughs> yeah. That he so I I mean you know it's it sounds to me. It's not a guarantee, but it sounds to me from talking to him that I would I'm leaning toward thinking Zeke will be there for the Redskins too. Yeah. Uh and then who knows where it goes from there. It's like even more than that. Well, yeah. yeah the I way mean, he if, the way he if put it goes it, the yeah. way he says it goes, then he'll be there he'll all play the year. Season. Yeah. I'm not ready to I'm not ready to take that leap just yet. But so October thirtieth is the day uh that I kind of have circled in my mental calendar. What I'm curious and I, I didn't ask him this, I I, I thought about it is you think is it a coincidence that she's on vacation? Is this just the coincidence? Oh come on! Yeah, I don't think there's some big grand conspiracy here. Why, I mean, why would there be? <laughs> I'm not saying that it's a conspiracy that she's on vacation. I'm saying is it? This is just this is the the judge that has to see this case. Well, when it gets to a court, it gets to a court by procedure. There's procedure that that puts it in specific courts, and so <laughs> yeah. I and wonder if the I don't, NFLPA maybe sought out this situation so they could but that's the point they don't get to choose which court like if they wanted to choose which court they'd be back in dallas 
So I don't know that they get to say, hey, this judge is gone. Let's use this court. I don't think it works like that. Yeah, I don't think it does either. Okay, I have a question. And I'm not sure if he kind of talked about it or not. Again, I was going up and down with, okay, I'm understanding. Okay, well, now I'm kind of confused. Okay, to clear this thing up, we're fighting or they are fighting against the whole fairness of the case, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say they say, okay, yes, he was indeed treated unfair. Now, from that point, does it go to another court? And now they're actually hearing the whole case of what really happened here. Let's hear both sides. I actually think the way he was talking about it, that actually is taking place at this point. Because he said before, and that was the question I had for him about the the procedural things that have been ruled on at this point. They were talking about the timing that they filed it before the arbitration was done. And the venue, they did it in Dallas. It should have been in New York. So it's like those are the procedural things that have already mm-hmm. been ruled on. At this point, from what he was saying, the injunction at this point that's up, uh, that's before the court, that is going to look at things like fundamental fairness. And so they are already looking at and, – and really the, what they're deciding right now is not necessarily the case of what happened and whether he was unfairly treated. Uh-huh. It's more that the, the, they're trying to determine is there a likelihood that he was unfairly treated and that should matter in this case. So if that's the case – we need to allow him this injunction so that in the meantime, he can continue to play while the court hears all this stuff, while the court hears the case, while the court deliberates on the case, and before the court can actually make a decision on it. So it's really just right now they're trying to figure out, is this a likelihood? It's almost like you're in that process of figuring out, is this a case worth hearing? And if it's a case worth hearing, then you need to give him time to continue to play if you believe that, again, he can lose something that he can't get back. And then we would know if, in fact, he did commit domestic violence or not, right? I don't know that they will ever judge on that. What they're judging judging on, that's already been judged by the NFL. The the courts, as far as that's concerned, they decided there wasn't enough to even have a case. If you remember back, before all this started with the NFL, the courts already decided that. So... The courts right now are not deciding whether he's guilty or innocent of domestic violence. What yeah. they are talking no, about is, was the process fair in the NFL determining that he should be suspended? And I get that. I guess the the ruling of the NFL when it comes to that, I think, obviously, if he was treated unfairly, it kind of goes into the whole case itself, like whether he was, let's say, innocent or guilty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the fact of giving him the time or whatever to, for him to provide all the information that needed to be provided and having Tiffany be up there in front of him and saying everything. I mean, that plays into the case. And I, I, don't, I don't know how to really explain it. It goes into the whole unfairness thing, but at the same time it goes to is he guilty or not? Aside from that, that's where my head kind of gets fuzzy. Like I uh, put the fairness aside even if he was treated fairly, do do we have enough proof to where we know if he did it or not? And I don't think there is. I mean, the, at, the NFL had enough proof where they felt like there was a likelihood that something happened inappropriately, yeah. right? The court said in the very beginning there was not enough evidence for them to even take it to trial, right? 
So if you're trying to get an answer on whether he did it or not, I'm sorry to tell you, but I don't know if there's enough proof one way or the other to say we won't really he know. did it or didn't. The, ma- the material is out there, and you can go read it and look through it and come to your own determination about you know how you feel about it, who you feel is... Oh, I've looked through all that. Well, well then, <laughs> that's all, kinda, that's as much as you're going to... That's yeah. all you got. You yeah. got to make a determination about how you feel about it, but that's... I guess for me to feel good about this whole thing and come to resolution for my own, you know, inside and my own mind is to have both of them in front of me, Zeke and <laughs> Tiffany. You got to do your own investigation. Let's put aside. Let's put aside the whole fairness of the, you know, which I'm glad we'll they're going. We'll they're that. going. Well, let's, for that, let's see if we can work. Can we do that on the break? Let's God, just have let's them, have them the here. Break. Let's do it on the break. Everyone says what actually happened. We hear both sides right in front of each other. Let's see if they can both tell the I truth. Mean, you know, what's interesting that you say that, and, and I don't know if you have to be a female to have this perspective. I don't think you do, but I'm, I'm curious. It's like, it's kind of feels weird to like be rooting for Zeke, you know, just because he's on this team and all that. I mean, it, it seems like maybe what you're saying is, is that you want to know kind of what happened here. Should I want you to to, to, to yeah. win this thing or should should you not? Do you deserve to win? They see, that's the thing we don't really we know. And I think that's what's so weird about this whole case with the NFL and, and why I kind of asked that question about moving forward. I think this is a really big case for, you know, does the NFL really get to play judge and jury here? Because, you know, they, the, the court system in, in Ohio didn't think it needed to go to trial. And now that they're, you know, that they, they thought, well, it's worthy of six games. So this is going to be a really big case in the new labor talks about how much power Goodell and the NFL really has. Well, and that's it's it's convenient in a way because I think you can compartmentalize this whole thing like between like this is about domestic violence, but it has become about something completely different. Mm -hmm. Like you can I at least I can separate the two and say. It looked like one way or another some skeevy stuff happened here. Yeah. Like this doesn't look good based on, you know, court testimony, witness testimony, whether it's conflicting or not, whether it's all true or not, there's some bad stuff going on here. That's not great. But then I can look over here at everything that's happened since then, how the NFL has handled this, the fairness of how they did it, yeah. and I can say that's not right. And, you know, regardless of how guilty or innocent he is, the, the process that the league goes through for all this stuff is is wrong, in my opinion. And so you can almost kind of have it both ways. And like, I don't I don't have to condemn or exonerate Ezekiel Elliott to know that this is messed up. Basically. Oh, I, I agree. So you can kind of I look at it as almost two completely separate factors. And what I think this go ahead, Amber. Oh, I was just going to say that that's absolutely agree. There's two different things. But to me, it's really sad that the whole procedure thing is kind of taking over something that could happen, like if it did indeed happen, like that's something very important. Like, you know, that that's a yeah. real deal right, right there. You know, you can't just let something like that just fly by and, oh, yeah, we're cool here. We're good. Let's just focus on this whole procedure and stuff. That's where I guess I, I just kind of get upset about this whole thing is that that has taken the light of the whole case, the whole procedure, and not really – Focusing on what actually happened. You know what? That's a great point. But let's not forget, the NFL took 13 months to to, to do this investigation. 13 months on something that, <clears throat> excuse me, 13 months that the, the court system in Ohio already threw out. So, and then they they made a decision before the season, 
I think that they kind of thought that that they would just kind of take it and go. And and, the, and Zeke has, has fought back on this. And, and and think about this: anything that you spend a million dollars on, you you probably have some kind of passion. Whatever it is, whatever costs a million dollars. And then when it's all said and done, this is going to be about a million dollars for Zeke in legal costs. So, I mean, it, he obviously feels like he's got a case here. You don't you don't spend that much money for it. So I I, I agree with your point that technicalities are kind of taking over this. But the NFL kind of opened this can of worms when they opened up the investigation, took 13 months to do it, and did it right before the season. Of course you're going to fight back. But I think the thing that has to be pointed out here, Amber, particularly to, to what you're saying, is that the courts or the legal authorities already have weighed in on this. And what they weighed in on was there is not enough evidence here for us to pursue a case. And and so I think and, – and that's, I think, this whole thing kind of highlights – the problem with the NFL getting into the business of judging players. Because if you think about it, this country, there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of laws, there's a lot of, there's a, there are constitutional amendments that are made for the purposes of making sure that the rights of the accuser are protected and that how we adjudicate uh, cr- wrong crimes is, is done the right way and done by a certain procedure. And when the NFL gets into that business, now the NFL has to live according to those things as well. And they're not suited for that. Like it, this is a this is a football organization. They are not suited to 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 be able to properly, as a court would, mm-hmm. properly adjudicate a a, a, a you just a like crime. to say adjudicate because it makes you sound. <laughs> smart. It does make me sound smart. But my point is my point is that I think that's the problem in this whole thing is that the NFL is not. I don't think properly equipped to handle these kinds of things in the way a court would. And if you want to have some kind of guidance on what actually happened i think you have to go back to the legal authorities who originally said hey there's not enough stuff here because there's so much gray area around this whole thing there are there are lots of uh inaccuracies and there are a lot of things that have been said that that point to the fact that there's not enough evidence here for us to be able to even take this to trial not let alone say he's guilty or innocent but to even take it to trial that's what gives me a little more solace in the fact that it's hard to believe that then he should have to sit for six games if a court already said there's not enough here for us to even uh, you know, take to court. I agree. And I guess the way I see it or where I come into this whole mess in my head is the fact that, yeah, they said that. But again, you don't ever really know how much you can trust. Like sometimes the system is not always perfect. Absolutely. But that's all you have. Like, yeah, yeah. But there's, okay, no, there's nothing say, better than the system. Let's right? say we don't. We don't know, but okay, the court made that decision, all right? Then the NFL comes in, and to think that they went through all this trouble and all this time and actually going against what everyone expected and going against what Jerry Jones has said to begin with, you would think that they have enough to back that up, right? So now you have what the court said and what the NFL is saying. So looking at both of them, it's it goes back to... Uh, him versus him type of thing, like one person versus the other, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't understand. Like you say this thing, this one thing. Now Nick is saying this one thing, right? Now it's two, one against one of what each party believes that happened. Right. Now that's where I'm like, okay, I want to know what actually happened here. And although we have seen all the whatever they listed that Tiffany said and this and that, it just gets a little... um it creates more questions about the whole thing, and it just—it's became—it became really messy, and 
created a lot of confusions and questions. And I guess I'm at the point to where, okay, if Zeke is indeed going through all this trouble too and putting out all this money and time and effort, I would say, I would hope that he is, in fact, you know, innocent. And even though we might not ever find out what actually happened there or, or whether he was innocent or not, I think that maybe he, by him doing all this, that does give people uh, another perspective of maybe create an idea of like, okay, maybe he is innocent. And now let's just focus on, yeah, the whole mess of how the NFL handles every situation and case and all that. Where there's a ton still left to go, it sounds like. And uh, obviously in the next couple of weeks, there'll be at, at least one decision that will further this thing and, and, and kind of move this thing along a little bit more. What we do know is that Ezekiel Elliott will be there to play against the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday um, at 3.05 Central Time. And so uh, tomorrow we'll jump into that and talk about the San Francisco 49ers and what the Cowboys can expect when they face them on Sunday. Till then, for Nick Keatman, Dave Hellman, Amber Garcia, I'm Derek Eagleton. This has been The Break Live on DallasCowboys.com Radio. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!